Thank you for joining us. Uh, I want to encourage you to read the entire 26th chapter of Matthew, but our scripture read was from verses 36 through 39, and I want to highlight verse 39, which reads in the Living Bible, he went forward a little and fell face downward on the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken away from me, but I want your will not mine. If I had to tag a topic to this message, it would be for the sake of the call. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the privilege and opportunity to preach your word to your people. Bless both your people, this preacher, and your word, that your people might be edified, that you might be glorified, and that the devil might be horrified because of this experience. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen. For the sake of the call, the gospel group anointed sings a song entitled for the sake of the call and the hook goes a little something like this. It says for the sake of the call, I am laying down my all, no turning back, moving straight ahead. I'm on the right track and it's all for the sake of the call. It's amazing when we're faced with the decision to move fully into the things that God has prepared us for. We tend to teeter-totter with the desire to remain in our comfort zones. We know what God is requiring of us, yet we, we, we want to continue to do what we're big and bad enough to do and not really give consideration to the thing that God is asking us to do. Dr. Daryl Johnson of the Ashland Theological Seminary says that the scripture read in our hearing is a lucid illustration of how, of how one's calling can have a grievous effect on our human condition. You see, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is at the precipice of a critical moment in his earthly ministry, his crucifixion. Claudette Copeland calls it the place between the crux and the crucible. It's a space when, where you're in a situation and it's about to get ugly. You know you're facing something tremendous and don't know how it's going to work out. But what you do know is that God is the only one he can, who can get you out of it or through it. There are times in all of our lives that we find ourselves in ugly situations where we become disturbed, distressed, and sometimes depressed. And to make matters worse, it's the Lord's work. It's kingdom business that has us in this situation. In other words, it's the call. J. Allen Blair advises that God cannot work through anxious hearts. So I want to suggest that whenever we reach this state, we should stop at once and remind ourselves, this is God's work and I'm God's chosen vessel. Then say to yourself, and because it's God's work, the burden of it is his too. In other words, if it's God's will, then it's God's bill. Stop trying to figure it out all by yourself. First Peter 5 and 7 tells us that he is at work through us. Clearly, the Lord already has control of all that we do, and we can't do anything without him. I could sit down right now because that's a word already for somebody. Our text this evening takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane, which sits at the foot of the Mount of Olives. It's considered to be a place where the passion of the Christ began. It is here that Jesus dealt with a great deal of agony, a great sense of agony relative to his call. You see, he was being called to serve as the perfect sacrifice for reconciling humankind with God the Creator. And whether we believe it or not, 
in God's infinite wisdom and sovereignty, he has called all of us to do the very same thing, to be reconciled and to bring others to a place of reconciliation with Christ and ourselves. This moment in the Garden of Gethsemane clarifies an important revelation about Christ. It is here that we realize that the Son of God was simultaneously fully human and fully divine. It is in this moment that the fullness of Christ's humanity is on display where he experiences joy, sorrow, loneliness, hunger, affection, anguish, and companionship. Yet he never lost sight of his sonship. He never relinquished the certainty that he was the child of God. Unlike many of us, when we're in a tight situation, in an ugly situation, in a desperate situation, we somehow forget that we belong to God. But Jesus was grounded in, in a surety of sovereign relationship and gloriously re represented what was otherwise a hopeless situation for all of humanity. Matthew's citation of this incident at, in Gethsemane illuminates the fullness of the humanity of Jesus at a key moment in his earthly ministry. He reports that Jesus was sorrowful and very heavy, even to the point of death. Jesus was pained by the sinful and decrepit human condition. Can you imagine what the human condition is doing to the heart of God in 2021? We've got fake news, alternative facts, politicians that look a lot like the Antichrist and folks who are engaging in the power of darkness like it's normal behavior. But please be careful because Genesis 4 and 7 says that sin is crouching at your door. If you don't master it, it will master you. I'm so glad that Jesus took on our sin and became the pardon for the things we have done, the things we're doing right now, and the things we will continue to do until we reach glory. We cannot be become clouded about our call. We have to be, become the conduits for Christ, for the many Christians and non-Christians who find themselves yearning for direction and support to work out their fractured life experiences. We can so easily get caught up in what people are going to say, what people are going to think, or what people are going to to do if they find out the truth about us and miss what we're supposed to be doing for our call. We get caught up with things that are going on outside of us and we forget our true purpose, what our true purpose is or what our real mission in this earth realm is and we lose sight of our call. And the price goes up even higher because we allow something outside of kingdom business to become our little G God. We can't let others' thoughts or, per or perceptions nor their persecution of us cause us to lose sight of our assignment. We must understand that Christians are often persecuted for trying to live a certain way, for making an attempt, an attempt to live with love, for walking by faith, for trusting in a risen Savior and believing that with God all things are possible. We all know, have known, or will know what it is like to be persecuted and falsely accused. Some of us know what it's like to be marginalized when we don't fit the mold of what others think we should be, for being rejected because of our 
socioeconomic bracket for not having the right level of education because our sexual preference doesn't fit in your box. Not the right race, not the right size, not in the right sorority or fraternity. We don't go to the right church. We're not married to the right person. And the list goes on and on. I'm so glad we serve a God who chooses us regardless to anything that we can do, regardless to any of these things that I've listed. I'm so glad we serve a God that says in 1 Samuel 16 and 7 that man looks at the outward appearance, but God is looking at our hearts. I'm glad that there is not a certain performance level that I have to obtain, a certain amount of money I have to have in my bank account, or a certain car I have to drive for God to choose me. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that when everybody else forsakes you, when your mother and your father forsake you, when you're not accepted or have been rejected by anybody, when you feel all alone, look to Jesus. He understands what persecution is and rejection looks and feels like. He's the stone that the builders rejected, yet he's the chief cornerstone. Rejection is often protection and redirection, but that's another sermon for another day. We must focus on what has been assigned to our hands and embrace what God is doing in and through us for the sake of the call. When I began to research and study for this message, I started to think about the fact that we all have a cup to drink from. We will all have a nevertheless moment. We will all have a crux and a crucible moment. You see, the cup was the price that Christ would pay by paying our sin debt on the cross. His divine nature revolted at the prospect of being made sin while his divine will was one with the Father and he was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the call. We've all got a garden to visit. And get this today, your friends won't know how to handle it. Peter, a fisherman, tries to be a soldier and soldier and win spiritual victories with a carnal weapon. Remember, Christ does not need to be defended. Moses made the same mistake and had, had to spend 40 years learning to let God fight his battles. Remember, according to 2 Chronicles 10, the weapons that we use are not are spiritual, not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Please understand, no matter what you've done, good or bad, God loves you and has assigned a work to your hands, and you've got to fulfill that call. You can't remain comfortable uh, in what you're doing and not honoring what God is saying to you. So how do we move from our comfortable positions to our call positions? I'm glad you asked. The first thing I want to suggest is you must know who your partners are. The scripture says in verses, verses 32 through 34 that Peter said to Jesus, though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, this night before a rooster crows, you will completely deny me three times. Peter said to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. You have to be real about who the people are that you're hanging out with. You've got to know who your real ride or die friends are. Everybody listening to this message knows what it's like when we can't depend on a friend at one point or another. This is a lesson that teaches us that we have to put our trust fully in God because people will at one time or another let you down. Judas betrayed Jesus 
and Peter denied him. But the good news is our assignment isn't attached to our friends or our brokenness, but rather our righteousness in Christ. When you know who your partners are, you will understand we are all chosen by God. We all have a purpose. Even Judas had a purpose, but that's another sermon also for another day. Which brings me to my second point. We must know what our purpose is. Our assignment is usually fine-tuned through our trials, the ones that we experience in our lives. The scripture says that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to be the living, breathing uh, uh, models of God's marvelous light in the earth realm. We are to be the billboards, the advertisers of Christ. We can't just know about him and be glad to know. We have to be glad to know him. We must make sure that others know him and the awesome virtues of his power. We are to become the messengers who speak in the place of the one who sent us. I'm sure some of you are saying, well, I'm not a preacher. And I say to you, you don't have to be. But if you're a dancer, tell your story through dance. If you're an usher, tell your story through greeting. If you're a deacon, tell, your, tell of his goodness through praying and serving the people of God. Because we have Christ, the hope of glory living in us and working through us. Others ought to see him in our attitudes. Others ought to see him in our actions and our conversation. In Isaiah 43, where it says that God fashioned us for himself so that we will show forth his praise. I believe we can do this by the way we live with one another and the way we treat one another. So we must know who our partners are. We must know what our purpose is. And finally, we must know what praying power can do. In verse 39, the scripture says that Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Saints, we're still in many, still in many of the situations we have in our lives because we haven't prayed. We haven't trusted God enough to cast our cares on him and wait for him to fix them. We've often been hurt or disappointed so much so that we can't even dream of the things being better. We've been, we've suffered with disillusion for a lot, a while, and we don't have enough foresight to get a vision of what God can do if we would dare pray, but we must believe every day we represent the King of Kings who is ruler over the earth. So all we have to do is pray and ask for guidance. Charles Spurgeon says that our road is not the one, the broad one where the many go. It's the narrow one, which few find. And we find this road through prayer. My dear sweet friends, we must choose this day whom we will serve, whether we're going to keep doing whatever we're big and bad enough to do, thinking we can get away with it, or if we're going to be begin to live according to God's plan for the sake of the call. As I, I close, I invite you back to that garden I talked about where Jesus was betrayed. That garden where Jesus' friends couldn't stay awake long enough to watch for him. That garden where life became really ugly and the cost of his call became great, even unto death. For the sake of the call, go to your own garden. Consider who the people are that you call friends. Consider what your purpose or your call is. Consider doing something different so you can operate effectively in that. Pray for guidance as you move forward. Jesus laid down his life for us. My final question is, what are you willing to lay down for the sake of the call?